need to do anything different. Testing one, two. It is a great blessing to be back here in Caledonia, Mississippi. Um, I've grown accustomed to um, not only the roads and how to get here, I think I can get here blindfolded almost now. It's much different than the first couple times that I came. There's a lot of twisty back roads that go a, a different place. Of course, you know all about that, but I'm always thankful to come, especially when I bring my bride with me. I'm thankful that my wife Shanna's with me. Uh, we've been married, um, it'll be 21 years in, in March, and I pick at her and told her she um, hit the jackpot 20 years ago, but the truth of the matter is she, uh, she's an example of long-suffering uh, to be married to me that long, but I am thankful to have her, and it's, it's good to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Book of Romans chapter 1, and if you recall the last time I was here, we were in Romans chapter 1. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach the same sermon, nor are we going to look at the same text. But I did go and look on the Sermon Audio website to see what I preached on last time, and my goal was to just continue on where we left off. Um, last time in Romans 1, we were in verses 1 through 7, and this morning I would like to look at verses 8 through 15. Now as we turn to Romans chapter 1, we are turning not only to the longest epistle or letter that Paul writes, but this is also one of his longest introductions. Now perhaps you are prone to read through Paul's introductions, such as in Ephesians and uh, other letters, and, you know, gloss over it to get to what may, or many may be believed to be, the meatier portions of the letter. However, as I hope to show you today, Paul's, this was a long introduction uh, for a number of reasons. One, he was unknown to the believers at Rome, at least by face. And he wanted to establish his authority to them, his apostleship, verses 1 through 7. And then verses 9 through 15, he wanted to convince them, this is going to be our text, of his desire to visit them. And he does this in two ways. In verse 8, we're going to see a, a thanksgiving that he gives. And this was customary in the day to not only open up the letter introducing yourself, but you would give a thanksgiving and many times a prayer, which verses 9 through 15. Now, I hope to show you that in this opening, that Paul had a, a purpose. And, and one of these purposes, according to one writer, and I agree with this, his, his openings to the letters were vehicles to teach important Christian teaching. To put it another way, there are a number of precious truths packed into what we would just call an introduction. And I want to read verses 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers 
making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but I was lit hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not only inspired it, not only caused us to hear it, read, and preach, but you also illuminate your word. You bring it to life. You show us the, the true meaning of it. You give us a spiritual understanding. And most importantly, you reveal your son to us through it. God, is our desire this morning that this um, time not be wasted, but that we can truly say that we met with you, we heard from you, and we heard your word. Would you be with me and be with your people during this time? It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Last week, as I was online, I, someone brought to my attention that they were going to be opening a time capsule, and not just any time capsule, but one that had been hidden beneath the statue of Robert E. Lee in Richmond, Virginia. You, you can go look this up. So I go online, and they're, they're, they're about to open it. An hour later, they're about to open it. Two hours later, they're still trying to open it. They start taking turns. The, the lady ends up with blisters. Ladies end up with blisters on their hands. And I did not watch it the entire time, but five hours later, they finally opened. Now, I watched it because this was something unique. Um, generally, when people do a time capsule, there's something they put in there that's, that's either interesting or something they want a future generation to appreciate. They want to communicate something that's special to them. Well, when they opened it, it, it was a, a number of random items. It was an 1875 almanac, a waterlogged book of fiction, a coin, a catalog, a letter, and a photograph of a, a man who worked on the, the statue, if I believe. And so after all of this time and anticipation, um, according to the article, they said that they had no sense of why any of this stuff was put in there. Not only why it was there, he said it's a puzzle. You see, time capsules, at least what I was expecting, are usually intended to convey something important, something exciting. When you read the openings of the New Testament letters, while they are not time capsules, the Apostle Paul used them purposefully for our attention to convey certain information about Christ, about God's purpose for us. 
In fact, uh, as, as one man put it, these were vehicles, these openings in the letters that you and I may, may be quick to, to pass over. He said they were vehicles of important Christian teaching, and I agree with that. And I want to share with you this morning as we look at, and if I was to give the, the sermon a title, I would call it Paul's Thanksgiving and Prayer. As we look at Paul's Thanksgiving and Prayer, I want to show you that there are indeed a number of precious truths that are here right before us in this text. And um, there's a number we could look at, but I've chose six. The first thing I want to draw your attention to in verse 8, as we work through these verses, is, is there something about worship? We learn something about worship, verse 8. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now here, Paul is, is, is obviously, he's giving thanks. However, I want to draw your attention to something. He's not merely giving thanks, but the Bible says he is giving thanks, look, through Jesus Christ. You see, this is something that I think we, we oftentimes forget about, but it's just highlighting a point that even Paul's thanksgiving, giving thanks to God, wasn't done in a vacuum. It, it wasn't done just between him and God alone, but in between him and God, there was a mediator that made even his thanksgiving acceptable to God. We find this truth all throughout Scripture. Paul would mention this many times. Just one example in Colossians 3.17, you, you know this verse. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The point of this simply being, as is, is we talk about worship, all of our worship must be made acceptable as it ascends to God. This is because you and I remain or are still sinners. It is a reminder that, that even in our thanksgiving, it must be made acceptable because not only are we sinners, but the related truth, God is holy. And that means that, that all of our prayers, all of our, our singing, all of our preaching, all of our listening, all of our living out uh, to the glory of God, everything that we do, God indeed accepts those things. But it's not because we do those things from a perfect heart, but rather this holy God only accepts it because it's done through Jesus Christ. And the important Thing to, to, to be, the reason we need to be reminded of this is very simple. It is true that we are to do these things with joy. It is, it is true that we are to do these things with, with a peace on our conscience and to do it lovingly. But, but there's a balancing truth that also says we are to do these things in the fear of God, remembering who he is. That's why you'll read, for example, in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Paul says, having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, this fear isn't what we would think a cowering fear. He's still our father. But you see, as we pray to him, and, and here, Paul is just giving thanksgiving. We may think that's not a big deal. But as he's giving thanksgiving, it is done in the context through a mediator, Jesus Christ. So put simply. As you listen this morning, or maybe 
watching at home, as you pray, as we sing, all of this is being done by people who have a Savior, need a Savior, and continue to have this mediating work. So that's the first thing we learn. Number two, we also learn something about the power of the gospel. In verse 8, he says, First, I thank God, my God, through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, some have noted that the reason Paul is giving thanks, one of the, the many reasons here, is that it's not only that they were faithful and godly, and some people believe that's what he's talking about. They were, they were so faithful they, they stood out. They were a, a city set on a, you know, set on a hill. And Paul's giving thanks for that. And, that, and that's possible. But I noted that, that others said that what Paul is saying here, he's giving thanks for their faith because it's here that even their faith is in Rome and, and people are talking about it. In other words, it, it's almost like a, a badge of honor to know that the gospel hasn't just made it to us wherever they are, but has made it all the way to the capital, the, the, the place everybody wanted to see. The gospel is there. Everybody's talking about it. And Paul is giving thanks. Now, whether or not that is exactly what Paul is referring to, we, we know that's still a truth. Giving thanks for the effect of the gospel wherever it is. I've been amazed at not only reading history and, and the, pl the, the places the gospel has been able to penetrate, Places that, that there's, there's no human explanation other than the power of God working through his word, drawing the most unlikely people. Not only are, are you an example of that, we might think, of, sure, God would, would work in New York City or you know, places like that, but God is working everywhere. He, he's gone to the, uh, the backwoods of Tremont, Mississippi, that's where I'm from, to save me. Goes to Caledonia. He goes to, to anywhere. There, there's no place that the gospel cannot penetrate. And when we look at this here, Paul is saying it, it's gone, it, it's there in Rome. But it's not only the effect of the gospel, also under this same heading, under the power of gospel, go down to verses 14 and 15. Paul is showing that this gospel, there, there's, a, there's a scope to it. Um, there, there's a, a certain group, so to speak, that, He's indebted to preach this gospel to. In verse 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And by the way, this was their culture's common way of dividing men, basically the educated, the uneducated. Basically, so no matter what background you're from, uh, I'm, I'm to bring the gospel to you. And in verse 15, so much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. Now, as I mentioned the power of the gospel, I, I want you to think about this for a minute. Paul said, whether, whether you're cultured, whether you're a barbarian, whatever you are, your background, your race, I'm ready to come to preach the gospel to you. And this is important because it is Christianity 101 that the gospel comes to not any one group of people, any race of people, any background of people. And you look at any church, someone pointed out, I wish I could say it like, like I heard it, but I remember a preacher saying, have you ever noticed that churches are unlike any other groups? You get a baseball team, they're all there, they're athletes or wanting to be athletes, they like baseball, everything's about baseball, and, and there's, there, there's a commonality to them, there's a common interest. 
You got people that go to the, um, you know, comic book conventions, and there's something that draws. There's this commonality, and they they've got something in common. Some of you ladies know that when men get together, they be talking about things they have in common that you could care less about. In fact, you wish they would, you know, just shut up about and get away from you, and vice versa. But if you notice, the church is many times just so diverse. There's people who are coming together that, to be honest, and this is necessarily a bad thing, it's a glorious thing because of the gospel, are maybe people you really just don't have anything in common with. And I'm talking about people at your own church. You, you may be someone that just, you know, you stick out like a sore thumb. You, maybe they like college football and you don't. And you're, you're so different, but you still come. Because you see, what, what brings us together, we are so different. Some of us probably would never hang out with each other if it wasn't for the gospel, if it wasn't for Christ, because what we do have in common is a common need. We're sinners, and we have a common Savior, Christ. And so Paul is saying, as I come, I'm bringing this gospel to you. And then number three, something else we see in this introduction, this prayer, and this, or this thanksgiving and prayer uh, we, we see the source of our salvation. You'll see what I mean by that in just a moment. But Paul says he gives thanks. He says that, listen, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now pause here for a moment. Don't look over this. Why would Paul give thanks for their faith? I mean, isn't it their faith? What about your faith? What, would, would Paul, would it seem weird to you if Paul was here in front of you and says, I want to give God thanks today, but I don't want to thank you. I want to thank God for your faith. Well, it shouldn't sound strange if we're familiar with the Bible. Not only does Paul many times speak of faith itself being a gift of God, but even repentance that, that is required. God calls us to repent and believe. Even repentance itself is called a gift of God. In 2 Timothy 2, 24, Paul, speaking to the man of God, says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. That, that means to be forceful with, with someone. It says, But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. He says, In meekness, instructing that oppose themselves, or those that, that, that come at Paul, or oppose the things he's teaching as he's preaching. He says, If God preadventure will give them repentance, to the knowledge of the truth. God told Paul, or told Timothy through Paul, that God's man, the man of God, he, he doesn't have to be, have a forceful personality. He doesn't have to look a certain way to look, you know, to scare people into believing the gospel. He said to be gentle. He's to preach the gospel. Why? Because it's not about the power or the force of the preacher. You see, rather it is about God as the, the, the gospel is actually presented, working in men, things we can't see, working in them repentance, working in them faith. I'll give you a biblical example. Remember in Acts 15, verse 14, I believe it was Paul there, he's, he's preaching, and you remember Lydia and, and the ladies that were down uh, worshiping in Acts 16, 14, it says, And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God heard us, listen, whose heart the Lord opened 
that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. That means there's preaching going on. That's all Paul could do. She's listening. That's, that's all she could do. But here comes God behind. It's almost as if he's, God's pulling the curtain back through Luke here in Acts and letting us see that the reason she responded, she did respond, she did believe, she did repent, because God was doing something in her. That, that was the true source of her salvation. Now, don't misunderstand me. It is true, we are called to believe and repent. And listen, we do believe and repent, but, but I'm going to say this, listen, it is only as God works it in us. I'll just give you an example. An illustration, perhaps. Adam, you remember when God created him, Adam breathed on his own, right? But it was God who put the breath of life in him. Adam breathed. And in the same way, we believe, we exercise faith, we exercise repentance, but not until God comes to us and works within us. Now listen, this is a blessing. This is our only hope. This is the reason we pray to God for our children's salvation, for our family members' salvation, for our friends' salvation. We're not praying because we don't really think God can do anything. It's really all up to them. No, we know God can open hearts. We know that God can actually do these things. Can I tell you, uh, before I move on to the next point, a pet peeve of mine, and I want to be careful here, but it's, it's based on this truth. That here's Paul giving thanks for their faith. This, and and, and, be, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to be misunderstood. I, if you've ever said this or done this, I don't think you're dumb. Okay, I say dumb things, and I will continue. I don't think you're dumb, but I, it, it, this this irks me. When a person comes to salvation, let's say a child, and we say, "I'm proud of you," please don't misunderstand me. Listen. When somebody says that, this, I, this is what I think they're saying. I'm, I'm so thankful that you believed, and I'm so thankful that, that God was special and he saved you. I know that's what they mean, but the way it comes out, when we tell somebody we're proud of them for what they did, we're, we're at least, at the very least, we're minimizing the fact that that kid, that would have never even come to God if God didn't give the repentance, if God didn't give faith. There's nothing to be proud of about the kid. I'm just going to say it. There's nothing even to be proud of about you for believing. There's nothing to be proud about. What we're to do is like Paul, we're to say, I'm thankful for the faith that I hear is in Rome. And listen, he would come to here today and say, if there's faith in any of you, Paul would say, I'm thankful, but not on you. He said, I'm thankful to God. You see, that's the source of salvation. Number four, verse nine. He said, for God is my witness. And before we keep moving, I want to I stop right there. When Paul says, for God is my witness, he's, he's taking an oath. And by taking an oath, it is, he's doing this, saying God is my witness to express his sincerity about his desire to visit them and his desire to pray for him. And, and why would Paul do that here? Well, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he had never been to Rome. It's kind of the capital of Gentiles, and, and Paul's never been to us. Does he really care about us? And not only that, Paul, many believe at this point, was even about to go in the opposite direction. 
So his actions seemed to say one thing, and Paul wanted them to know, I want to visit you. In fact, I, I call God as my witness that, and if you'll look at this, the point is he says, whom I serve with my spirit, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in our prayers. This fourth point, I want you to see another blessing God shows us is that God has given the church not only preachers and pastors and apostles and missionaries, all these things Paul was, at least apostle, but he also gives us gifts that men who actually pray, Paul says he prayed for them unceasingly. I think it's a blessing that, that there are people who, maybe if I forget to pray or you forget to pray or your prayer life's not very good, God has gifted certain men to pray for you and to pray when you forgot to pray. Well, Paul was able, look at this, to, to, to tell them. He said, I, I serve with my spirit. In other words, this isn't merely external. I serve God out of great desire, and I pray for you without ceasing. Now, here is Paul. Think about this for a minute. You and I may say we pray for somebody without ceasing. And, and in our heart, no, it's not true. But we know this is true because Paul's saying by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I think what happens is we, we read verses like this. And we just, we passed over it because we often think all men may be like us. Fickle in their prayer life. Not really faithful. But according to this verse, according to scripture, according to history, God has gifted men who do pray. They're, they're not as fickle as we are. I'm not saying they're not sinners. And this is a great blessing to the church when there are men who God has gripped them to such a degree that they are men of prayer. Perhaps there are many of you, and I say men of prayer, should I say just believers who pray because some of you are, your salvation from a human standpoint is a result of a mother praying for you. It is a result of a grandparent praying for you, a spouse praying for you. You see, important in, in our life are those like Paul, and Paul wasn't the only one. It wasn't just because he was an apostle, but thankful for those who are able to pray. Do you remember, and I'm not going to go back and read the whole text, but do you remember in Acts 6 there was, there was fighting going on uh, amongst this, the, the young church? There was the Hebrew widows and the Greek widows, and they said they're taking care of our, you're not taking, and there was this big fight. Do you, do you remember what the apostles eventually said? Now, some believe this is where deacons started. Some people, they say these aren't deacons. I'm not getting into that. But I'll tell you what, what is obvious from this passage. The apostles basically said, look, we're not going to be in all of this serving tables. Not that it wasn't important or it wasn't high work, but they had a higher work to be doing. And they said, but we will give ourselves continually, do you remember what they said? To prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, they didn't say those things weren't important. Deacons are very, that's not what this verse, but they understood that God had gifted them not merely to preach, but listen, their ministry is through prayer. I, th I think preaching, studying, th those are the easy part of a pastor in ministry. And I don't want to say easy, you, relative easy, than to pray and to continually pray and to, and, and to pray for your people. And I'll just simply make this application. Not only has God given men of prayer, but we need to make sure that our, our pastors and our ministers have time not only for the word, but they have time to pray for their selves, for their own families, and even for their church. Fifthly, and I have six, 
We learn about direction in prayer from this verse, uh, this passage. Look at verse 10. Here he reveals what his desire was. He said, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. And then verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let or hindered hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Now, a lot of things I could say about what this teaches about prayer, but I think one of the things this does, it, it bursts our bubble, if I can say that. We often think of Paul and his, his, his ministry, God just gave him this feeling he knew where to go or God spoke to him from heaven and he just knew what to do and he just always knew where to go, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously it was when he wrote Scripture and there were times the Macedonian call, other things where God did supernaturally communicate with Paul, but that wasn't all the time. It wasn't most of the time. Paul had to make plans. Many times that, that you know, ended up being, I'm not going to say bad plans, but God never allowed him to do it. Acts 16, he was forbidden by the Spirit. That's an example where he was forbidden to do something. We're not told why he wasn't able to. We're never told here. First Thessalonians 2, Paul said, Satan hindered me. And God, in his sovereignty, uh, allows that to happen at times. But we're not told why Paul wasn't able to come. But notice, Paul doesn't say, I, I just absolutely know it's the will of God to come to you right now. He, he doesn't know that. He doesn't have a feeling. There's nothing being written in the sky. There's no angels talking to him. He made plans, godly plans, and sometimes it, it, it didn't come to fruition, at least not yet. And this is important. Because many times we, we think Paul had all these immediate answers to all of life's problems, all of his decisions, and that's not what we see here. Paul had some godly plans that were hindered over and over and over. Same thing is going to happen in your life. And perhaps many times when we come up against this, unlike Paul, we may say, well, it, it must not be God's will. But we have to be careful. Paul understood that it could still be in the future. Um, some of you have heard, probably heard of Charles Simeon. And if you ever get a chance, I, I believe John Piper has a, uh, I know he has a, a book with three individuals in it, and he's one of those. But anyway, fascinating story, this minister who, and he wasn't a Baptist. Baptists elect their own pastors. But he was assigned to a certain church. Well, the church didn't want him. So what they do, and, and I found out this, this is a real thing. They would lock their pews where nobody could sit. So the church member locked it. If you wanted to come hear Charles Simeon preach, you could. But you had to stand up the entire time in the pew. And he did that for a whole year. Nobody would, would come other than some hears. But no members of this church. He could not change their heart. He did it a second year. He did it a third year. Sunday after Sunday, week after week. Did it a fourth year. Now at that point, many would say, okay, God, I've, I've been doing this for four years. These people don't like me. Nobody's coming. It's not your will. I mean, that's, that's kind of obvious. But he did it, and I believe it took him 12 years. And eventually people started coming over. But, but he, he didn't give up. He, he made a plan. He said, God, I'm going to keep doing this. There, there was no sign in the sky. He didn't go by an inward feeling. Well, I just feel it's the There was none of that. He said, God, this is glorifying you. I'm going to continue to do it. God, please bless it. And eventually God did that. And, and I say that just to say this before we move on to the last one. We often mystify the will of God to the point 
where, you know, we're looking for, as one man called liver shivers and, you know, clouds in the sky spelling out something. And God didn't do that for Paul. And don't be confused if in your life there, there's a time where you're, you're just confused. Does it mean you're out of the will of God? It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you're not godly enough for God to communicate with you. It's just the fact you're making good plans and you're doing it. And at least right now in your life, now I'm not even going to say God's saying no, but it, it, it's not according to his will, but maybe it's just yet. Sixthly, and the last one, something that lastly that we learn from this past, passage, we learn about the grace of Christian fellowship. Verse 11, Paul says, for I long to see you. Here's his purpose, that I, Paul, may impart unto you, Roman Christians, some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Now, some believe Paul is referring to, he's wanting to come to give them these divine uh, charismatic gifts, which were in the church, and, and many times they had the power by laying on of hands. You can read the book of Acts. They would impart spiritual gifts. Some believe Paul would have done that. Others say it's a much more general usage, that even if that was involved, even if Paul had that power, that Paul was wanting to come and use his gifts to build them up. For example, his teaching ministry. But notice verse 12. I want you to notice it, it wasn't just Paul coming expecting the blessings and the, the teaching and the ministry to be one way. He expected to receive a building up from these people. Verse 12. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now listen to this. One commentator note, noted that according to this, because Paul is seeking to be built up by these believers, he says that Paul did not refuse to seek strengthening from inexperienced beginners. He said there is none so void of gifts. In other words, someone that just really don't know so much about the Bible. There, there's got to be people at different levels. But he said there's no one so void of gifts in the church of Christ who cannot in some measure contribute to our or your spiritual progress. Now think about that. Whether you're an apostle or a pastor or a deacon, please don't claim to be an apostle. But if you're an apostle, if you were an apostle, or you're a pastor or a deacon, or you're not, and you come to church, and there is no pastor, there is no deacon, they they're sick, or for whatever reason, there is fellowship and strengthening that can take place amongst all believers. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever woke up a morning and you didn't want to go to church? You just did for whatever reason, or that Wednesday night. Because of work, you, you, you've got all this, and you really just didn't want to go. Have you ever experienced this? You, you make yourself go. You know you're going to be even tighter that night, the next day, and you, you go and you leave, and you're like, I'm glad I went. You know how many times that's, that's happened? And one of the reasons that you just feel like, okay, Lord, I needed that. And it might not have even been the sermon. There might not have been a sermon. It might have been you with other believers. There, there is a divine purpose in that is that by being with people who are not even preachers, even in our conversation, as we see faith in other people, it inspires faith in us. There's an encouragement. That's not just natural. It, it's not an accident. There's a reason you feel like that. It's because even Paul knew that when I come, I'm going to be the one with the spiritual gifts. I'm going to be the one preaching. But, but he said, but wait a minute. He said, I'm looking forward to be built up by you too. And he, he left it generic. He's not just referring to the leader's 
at the church. One man said what inspires and fortifies other believers is when they perceive faith in other Christians. Seeing other believers trust God in the course of everyday life reminds us that God is indeed faithful and encourages us to trust Him as well. As I bring this to a close, we've looked at this, and it's, it's not a time capsule. It's just a, an introduction to a letter, but it is full of truths and revelation of God's heart towards us. As, in fact, as, as we look at Paul's prayer and his desire and his love and how he constantly prays for these Romans who he's never met, he's really just a small picture of a much grander person, a perfect prayer, a perfect person who prays, in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, I would love to have Paul pray for me like that and to tell me the things that, that, I, that I read about here, but Romans 8 says, if you're a believer, that Jesus sits, stands, sits at the right, he stands at the right hand of God Offering up intercession for us. The book of Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he is praying for us. And all of these, these blessings that we looked at, I think we looked at six. There's probably more there. There's a lot more blessings. But here's the thing. They are all found. All of this that we're looking at. He wasn't just writing to a random people, random church. But these were people who were in Christ. You see, it is in Christ that we have access to all spiritual blessings. That is why Paul wanted to go to Rome, to preach that Christ. You see, everything that we need, we need justification, our standing before God, we need a perfect standing before Him, that's in Christ. We need sanctification, that our identity is in Him, that's all in Christ. We need glorification. One day we, we must be made perfect to be in, in the very presence of God. God is giving us that, but it is all done in the person of Christ. You see, God has sent His Son that all who believe in Him can have eternal life. Everything that we need, everything that you need right now is found in Him. My prayer today is no matter, I, I don't, there's many of you I don't know. I, I don't know your spiritual state. Those of you that are young, those of you that are teenagers, those of you that are young adults, you are hearing right now what Paul wanted to do as he went to Rome. He wanted to give them Jesus Christ. They were sinners in need of him. And he called them to repent. He called them to believe and turn to him. And my prayer is today that whoever you are, and you may be listening on Facebook, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to bring him, but he's, God has sent preachers today to bring him. And Christ is being presented to you. He is everything you need to have forgiveness of sin, righteous standing before God, and he is worthy. And my prayer is that you will come to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your son. We thank you that you have sent men, you inspired uh, apostles like Paul that we just read. You have sent men uh, 
to present the gospel. We thank you as we saw that you have not left us to ourselves, our own devices, but that you work in us inwardly. You change us. You give us faith. You give us repentance. God, I, I pray for all of those who are here, Lord, especially those who don't know you. I pray that you would work in their heart. I do pray you would convict them. But God, I pray that you would give them the eyes to see Christ. He is all glorious. He's everything they stand in need of. And I pray that they would embrace him, that they repent, embrace him through faith. And I pray for everyone, God, that you would give us eyes, bigger eyes to see your son, even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.